What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Red River Horror Podcast. This is episode number 51. I am your host, Joe Zakreski. This week's episode was going to feature a very special interview that Eddie and I did with an actor who is famous for saying this very line. Outlander! We have your woman! She still lives! No, that is not Eric Cartman or Trey Parker. That is actor Courtney Gaines in his role where he played uh, Malachi in Stephen King's screen, the screen adaptation, there it is, of uh, Children of the Corn, a movie that really gave me the creeps when I was a kid. I watched it many times, so it was a real pleasure to meet him. Uh, before we get into it, don't forget to go on to KeystoneRetro.com, put in code Red River for 10% off your order. And hey, next step is check out episode number 51's interview that Eddie and I had with actor Courtney Gaines. We are so close to the one year anniversary of the Red River Horror Podcast. I'm Eddie Cayazzo, founder of Red River Horror. Joe, the host, will be joining me momentarily, but I told you we had a special guest this week and I delivered. It's Courtney Gaines, everyone. Courtney, welcome. <laughs> I think this is my first straight horror interview that we, I've been doing lately, so there you go. I had to give a little... <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, first we will touch on the reason you're here. You're in a new yes. film called Queen Bees. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So uh, the storyline of Queen Bees is it's about Ellen Bernstein's character goes into a, an, an old folks home as it were where her house is supposed to be getting decorated and it gets destroyed and then she has to live there and realizes it's like high school all over again. You know, clicks, popular crowds, blah, blah, blah. That's the, that's the main story and then she finds love. So that's the main story. <laughs> I just have a cameo in it, but I get a chance to work with Ellen Bernstein, Anne Margaret, Jane Curtin, and Loretta Devine in a scene. So I was like... I am down. Let's do this. So that was a great experience to get to work with those four iconic ladies. Uh, unbelievable. And just seeing some of the promo material for at Queen Bees, they still look fantastic. Oh, they my do. gosh. They do. I mean, Anne Margaret is still a looker at 70, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. And they were all just great to me. And, and uh, it was a really good experience. And I was really surprised my one little scene made the trailer. But it's a very funny moment in the movie. And it's also sort of a bonding movement moment for the characters as they stand up to this guy who's trying to steal Ellen Bernstein's purse but uh, it was good times all around is this the females finally getting revenge on Malachi for for, uh, for the mean, treatment it always comes back to Malachi doesn't it There's, uh, <laughs> all roads lead back to Malachi well, we'll talk a little bit about that I'm sure uh, how, how long has this press tour been so far uh, it's been a couple of weeks and honestly it was it's been uh, a lot busier than I thought it was going to be they, my uh PR team is doing a fantastic job. So now, are you based out in LA? I'm in LA part time, and I'm in the Southeast part time. Uh, there's so much work in Atlanta now; you kind of can't ignore that market anymore. And uh, matter of fact, Queen Bees was shot in Atlanta a couple years ago. So what happened, I guess, via COVID? Uh, plus, also you know, indie films take time to find a home. But I think the COVID thing just added a year to everything. And so what's happening right now is. I have a backlog of projects that are all coming out uh, at, uh, roughly at the same time. If you want to hear the list, I can do the list. Let's do it. Sure. So we got Queen Bees that's been out now for a couple of weeks. I have another movie called River that's coming out tomorrow, July 13th. Oh, man. So that's cool. And uh, that's, a, that's a little indie sci-fi thriller uh, project. And then I have another movie I shot 
in Atlanta over two years ago called Charming the Hearts of Men, coming out August 13th. And that movie's set in the 50s. And uh, it's about the woman who played a hand in uh, getting the word women put in the Civil Rights Bill. So that's pretty. And I play, her, play, the, play the owner of the diner she works at. So uh, it's, very, it's, a, it's a cool project. I love period pieces. So um, on a horror note, I got two horror things. Yes. One is a movie called Await the Dawn. That's uh, D. Wallace, Vernon Wells, and myself are in. And that's out on Amazon Prime as of last week, which was also a surprise to everyone. The boom, but there it was. So you can check that out, uh, you know. And then I have one other horror movie that I don't know the release date, but the trailer's out, called uh, The Bleeding Dark, which to call it a drama horror film for me is pretty accurate. My character is very depressed. My son's angry at me. We lost her. The mother got killed in a robbery, and I'm blamed for it. So everything I'm doing is very drama, very heavy. But then the mother starts showing up to the son, and that's when things start to go haywire and you have classic, you know, 80s-style kills. You're an actor. You're in the film. You shot your stuff already. You know. But some people have no idea when their film drops. It's just like, oh. When it's an independent film, I and mean, I've also produced, it's, you know, people, there's, 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 there's three steps to making a movie, really. Finding the money, which is hard. Uh, yeah. Making the movie, which ain't easy either. And then maybe the toughest is getting your movie distributed. And most people, certainly their first time out, do not realize that that last step is as hard as it is and truthfully it's the better home you find meaning that you know on the scale you know the better chance your movie is going to be out there actually the three movies that are all coming out uh, gravitas ventures picked them all up so so god bless those guys now do you prefer a certain genre to act in like what are your favorite favorite roles i guess to uh, well, participate you, in. Of course, you said genres, so let's start with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a particular genre. That I, people always ask, are you a huge horror fan? And the answer is no, I'm not. I don't like blood and guts all the time and stuff. <laughs> but I like a great story. And I like, you know, so that's what I'm looking for. And I don't care if that's horror or sci-fi or drama or comedy. I'm looking for a story that will suck me in, you know, that I can believe in. If I can believe in it, that, that to me is the, the, the test. So now that you've you've traveled, I guess, to the South... And yeah, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the southeast part time because of the Atlanta market. We were talking about that. There's so much work out here that it's good to be in both places now. What do you like better, and what are the differences you've come to find? Uh, it's a it's a smaller community, you know, in the southeast. You know, there's only maybe six casting directors that get the majority of the work, whereas in LA, there's you know lots and lots <laughs> more. So. It's a smaller community, and it takes you know they take a while to warm up to somebody from LA. You know they don't really, they you know, they really don't like that. <laughs> that much. <laughs> so if I have more luck if say a project's coming from LA and I'm already here and they can hire me as a local. That you know LA gets it. Sometimes in the South is like, is he really here? Is he here? You know, so it's taken a while for them to believe I'm I'm, I'm here and I'm available to work. That's <laughs> right. worked out. It's worked out well as I was saying. All the projects coming out, most of those have all come from shooting in uh, the South. And the Southeast now is not just Atlanta. That's a, that's a, an assumption that I understand people would come, but really it's a 500 mile radius from Atlanta. So they're talking North Carolina, you're talking Mississippi, you're talking, uh, you're talking uh, uh, Tennessee. And I've shot in all these, all these areas now. There's, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's obviously big film incentives in Georgia, but the, these other, these other states are getting, getting on board Alabama and so there's a lot more work just in the southeast in general and obviously now New Orleans is once again getting back into the incentives game and there's going to be a lot more 
a lot of work there again, and that's right on the border of the 500 mile. That's like 460. So there's there's you know there's a whole southeast ball game that uh, it's just the way it is nowadays. Wow. There's, there's more than one market. Well, we're speaking with Courtney Gaines, episode 51, Red River Horror Podcast. So Joe, our host, has joined us, and we have something in common in that a few years ago, we interviewed Bob Gale, co-creator nice. of Back to the Future. Yes, Bob Gale was the writer of Back to the Future, but then he uh, directed me in something horror fans might appreciate, a Tales of the Crypt episode. And that's how I got the job, was Bob just reached out and said, hey, I'm directing this thing, want you in it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I love when I get offers. Offers, the, you know, I take... I, I rarely turn down an offer because I appreciate someone thinking enough of me to reach out, you know? I mean, you delivered one of the one of the top quotable lines of Back to the Future. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's I, I have, I've, had a, I've had a, you know, weird luck with that. Even in small roles, lines that are memorable. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe a little bit goes to me with my delivery, but it seems like it's a, I, I have these lines that people remember, you know? All right, guys, yeah, well, I'm more a horror person. Joe, well, Joe, what's that line? I'm sorry. I've seen Back to the Future like three times. Brian McFly, I'm cutting in. That's right. That's <laughs> what I write on the photos at conventions. <laughs> so you know it's a quote if that's what they want, yeah. right? It's a quotable thing. It's a, it's a treat to meet you because like I'm like, oh, I'm looking at the guy who used to terrify me as a kid from like your first role. You really hit the ground running young right there in the 80s with Children of the Corn, Back to the Future. Yeah, no, I had a really good teen uh, run. And uh, kind of what I attribute that to was, uh, A, I had been in a really good professional workshop that was with adults and kids, which is rarely done, which was to me a, a great way because you have interaction with adults. As a teenager, what's your, you know, your parents, right? That's the number one thing you deal with, right? Teachers. So it's nice to have that interplay, you know, uh, with veteran actors. Uh, learned a lot that way. But and what was happening back then is they were looking, as teen cinema was blowing up in the 80s, they needed actors who were 18 who could work a full day, were emancipated, that were 15, looking 15, which was exactly where I was. So it was a combination of, you know, right place at right time, good training, and a good look for the what they needed. So, yeah, I was 18 when I did Children of the Corn, and, and John Franklin was even older than that, and we both looked 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looked even younger. <laughs> and this was just really cool experience. Like, was that that was your big first time on a big set? Big yeah, set. I had done a few things before then, commercials and things. But yeah, that was the first you know big role. And uh, who knew it was going to blow up and become the movie? It's become this iconic film, and this, these characters became iconic and all that. I took it very seriously in that you know I needed to prove to myself and I needed to prove to the industry that I that I belonged. That's what I. It was the moment of truth, right? You study all these years, and now. You get the job. I didn't get overly excited. I got like, now this is it. Like, if I come in and, and suck, you know, <laughs> how am I gonna, you know, be able to keep doing this? Like, this was like, you know, my my career was at stake. That's how I took it. So I took it very seriously and came in at guns a blazing. You know, like y'all about to find out what's what. <laughs> <laughs> and it crushed it. I mean, it's still your mannerisms in the whole movie. I mean, it brings chills. Thank now, you. It's, it's a terrible. Yeah, you know, bad guys and creepy. You know, seems to be something that comes. I can't tell many times I've been auditions. I don't think I'm creepy at all. They're like, oh, can we try that again? A little less creepy. I've, I've actually been told that. So I don't know what it is I bring to the table when I'm acting, but somehow a creep factor seems to always leak in. So, <laughs> like, was it like being like, you know, you're all a bunch of, you know, young actors doing this movie that's scary and, you know, well, like dark and like kind of slow paced? And then, like, what really, was it like in between those, like, were you guys like goofing around? 
Um, not me, man. I mean, he, actually, you know, John Franklin, you know, it was his first big break, too. But, you know, he'd done a lot of theater in Chicago and Shakespeare. So he was he was there, you know, with Game Face on, too. So we were, we were, coming, we were going at it. Um, so it wasn't a lot of messing around. Low-budget movie, you don't have a, time, a lot of time to clown around, you know. But um, but it was Fritz Kirsch, the director. He, you know, he's a great guy. And he's funny. So he would keep things light. But he also did some things that were interesting. He had me... He made it a point. He said, "Do not be nice to the little kids, even at the hotel." So I suspect he did the same thing with uh, Peter Hart. Either that, or Peter Hart is just not a nice guy, which is also possible because I've, I've seen him since. But I'll tell a bad story, Peter. He was producing a uh, uh, Grey's Anatomy, I think it was, and I came in audition. And he picked up my resume. He's like, "Oh, you still have it on there. Good for you." Yeah, that's the kind of guy he is. You know, about showing to the corn. Right, come on, Pete. Uh, but uh, he went so so. There was like there was tension that was being created to show up on set. Like those kids did; those kids were scared of me for, in real life as well. <laughs> I guess the conventions are back in full force. Um, Starting to open up, yeah. So I have one uh, uh, in Detroit at the end of the month, right in the end of month and beginning of August at uh, 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 Detroit. Um, was it Motor uh, uh, Motor City Con? I think it's called. Okay. So and then I have another one in uh, in uh, Gettysburg, I think, in end of August. So uh, that's cool. So go check out Gettysburg. Right? That's the that's the perk of being an actor. Is you go to all these places, and then you have opportunities. Like I said, check out a Cub game because I was doing a convention. Uh, right. I was doing a convention uh, before the pandemic. The year before that, I was close to uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. So I was like, "We're going." <laughs> you know, so I got them to take me to the Hall of Fame. You know, so that's the perk of being an actor. Is you end up in these places. Like, even the shirt I'm wearing, Dublin, I got to do a, a Children of the Corn Q&A in freaking Dublin. They flew me and my manager out to hang out for, like, three, four days. And all I had to do was, at the end of the movie, do, like, a 20-minute Q&A. I mean, those are, those are, like, lovely perks, you know? <laughs> are you able to integrate any of your music with, like, those travelings? Like, I have, and I haven't been looking, like, for opportunities to perform. I'm sure I could. Um you know, that's, I don't, I mean, maybe if I'm pushing a record, maybe we'll impose that. Really, I'd, I'd rather be playing with my band than me doing solo stuff. I have done solo stuff. I've had acoustic bands. What's great if you go into a club and you want to talk, if you have a band, you just blow them out of the room, you know? <laughs> 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 yeah, they got to talk over you then, you know? So you're doing the acoustic set, so you should be like, hey, shut up out there. I'm trying to sing a song, you know? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but since you brought up music, let's talk about it. So I have a, yeah. I have a couple things going on musically. Um, yeah. One is an acoustic record called Acoustic Gains Volume One. Just released the third single this last week. It's called Let It Ride. Very vintage, bluesy sounding song. You can, um, so you can find all that stuff on Spotify and Amazon and Deezer and iTunes and all that. But I also have a band called Ripple Street. And uh, our, we put out a single about three weeks ago called oh. Would You. And for horror fans, you know, types, I'd say check it out. It's definitely Black Sabbath-esque. I feel good about saying that. And it's a little heavy, a little heavy rocker. And uh, it's nice to have two projects where I can do something that's mellow and something that's a little more aggressive. So I've been putting out yeah. a lot of music, and that was really definitely part of the pandemic time. Being at home kind of got me off my ass and started doing research started seeing that you could get home studio equipment now super cheap little box audio boxes that plug into your computer a couple couple condenser mics and you're in business you know even one condenser mic you're in business you start tracking material and and if i can figure it out i figure anybody can because i'm not the most tech savvy kind of guy but then it's great then you can just send those tracks off those wave files off to people to mix and master and 
boom, you're in business. So it's been it's been a, a creative time where I've been wanting to do this acoustic record for a long time, and I was like, hey, facing immortality, facing mortality now, you better get a, you know who knows what's going on, get some tracks done, you know. So what service did you use to master those tracks? Like, so you said you sent them out. I'm not doing the mastering. That's above my pay grade. Mastering, mixing is one thing, and then mastering is an even another thing that that only like it's kind of a specialty gig. Like, you know, okay. like, and if people try to explain to you what it is, it's hard to explain. Uh, the best way I can explain it is just like polishing a rock, you know, trying to get a shine on it. <laughs> it's all about EQ levels, being radio friendly, and all this stuff. But it's a mystery, man. Like sometimes you'll think your mix is good. And then they'll come back and say you gotta do a couple things, or you'll hear the you'll hear the the, the mastering. And you're like, man, it, it took away from what we had. And then there's other times they master it and just punches everything up the way you want it to. You hear all the separation of the instruments, and that's what you're looking for. But it doesn't always happen. It's a, hmm. I, I find mastering a bit of a head scratcher, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, people who are good at it. I mean, it has to be an obsession. Like I know a couple people that that's what they you know they do it for fun, and it's you know they'll be up all week like you know up all all night like won't sleep from a friday into a saturday or saturday into a sunday just because like ah start mastering these tracks yeah fortunately fortunately i know a couple good guys and uh you know that are reasonable that do a good job and that's you know that's 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 just being in it a while you you find some people you you like to work with but yeah mixing and mastering is a you know tracking tracking you're trying to get good quality but then mixing and mixing is like all about getting separation of instruments and you know yeah. so it sounds you can hear that and that to me like the best records have that like when you like listen like like example with chili peppers the separation even on your radio you can freaking hear the bass is over here the guitar is over here you know the vocals right here that's good good mixing you know <laughs> ripple street is the name of courtney gaines band and you can also get acoustic gains uh i guess both records so it's Courtney Games, Acoustic Games, Volume One. So you can find all that. You'll be able to find it. It's not all right. Excelente. But it's funny you guys are talking music. I just went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the first time, and it brought back so much of how I used to feel about music. I've been—I don't want to say disconnected, but it's been harder to connect throughout the last, I would say, year, two years, the way I used to. I used to want to know everything about every band, every every artist that came across, anyone that hit the top 40. I started distancing from that. And now with a trip to the Rock Hall, just seeing so many amazing artifacts and people in the same place. And then I wish it was a little more interactive. That's the one thing I'll say. But I completely forgot just how good of a guitarist Prince was. Oh my I gosh! I saw the movie. I was like, "Wait, this guy can write a song like Purple Rain, but he can actually sing like that and dance like that, but he also can play guitar like that." I was like, "Who is this dude?" You know? <laughs> Do you have anyone uh, you look up to, or someone that you know really inspired you, or that you enjoy quite a bit? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I can never ask for like a one-person question like that, but like I think the influences I had were interesting. My my father listened to a lot of jazz. You know, and that was around, but I like, you know, and so I'm not saying I'm a jazz guitar player by any stretch, but still that stuff gets in your ear, you know, and my mom was listening to a lot of like show tunes and stuff like that. And, and pop my, my brother was the one listening to the rocks. He was the one turning me on to the Zep and the Black Sabbath. And, you know, so I was, and then in the neighborhood I grew up in LA, I grew up in a predominantly Chicano neighborhood within for the, you know, the gangbangers, it was the oldies, you know, mm. so fifties. So I grew up hearing a lot of that. And I think 
the structure of the writing in the 50s is just excellent. The way that they wrote a tune, was, it was just tight. Tell It Like It Is, you know, is one of my favorite songs. Tell it like it is. Damn it. You know, I just love the melody of that, and Aaron Neville's voice just gives me chills, man. <laughs> I like that guy's got one of his voices. Um, this big guy, this little sweet voice comes out, you know, in a falsetto. You just, you would not imagine that voice is coming and going to come out of that man. Um, but I think that hearing a lot of that, all those influences helped me. I think where I take pride is I don't think I'm the, I don't think I'm the greatest guitar player. That's for sure. I don't think I have the greatest vocals. That's for sure. But I, what I hang my hat on is I think I can write a song. That's where I would say like you know take three minutes to go listen to something I wrote and you know see if you think it holds up. But I think that's where I that's where I take my pride is I think I can craft a tune. I can't craft a tune. I think <laughs> I can sometimes. I try, but maybe I need to have a little more confidence to it. I don't know, but. It's you know it's, it, it, the thing I, that's the part I love the most is writing a song. That's yeah. to me is is a very um, creative high moment when that song's coming through. You you know you're just picking up your guitar and strumming, and all of a sudden something's through. Or you're just writing. I do morning pages. This thing called morning pages. You write three pages a day. You just in the morning, just whatever's on your mind, just to kind of dump your you know dump your uh, whatever you know your anxiety of the day and like you know, oh, I got to do this. Again. No, just get it all out on paper, and then you'll be interesting what comes through. And sometimes in that process lyrics start happening and and then it's just and then for me it's just trying to connect all of it on an emotional level like i'm not like i said i'm not the greatest trained guitar player or anything like that but what i do think i can do is i can get across something happening on a guitar with that vocal that is an emotional something you get a sense of he's angry or he's in love or he's heartbroken <laughs> based on his connecting and to me acoustic guitar i write most of my stuff acoustically there's something you know pure about an acoustic guitar you know i'm not wrong with the left guitar and distortion and all the, all those tricks. That's a beautiful thing too. But I'm not like I'm not a crazy tech guy. I'm not able to like I'll play this axe with this you know pedal with this amp from 1972. Like I'm not into all that. You know, it's like I'm not saying nothing wrong with it. But I'm not a gearhead. I'm, I'm I'm trying just like as an actor. I'm trying to connect emotionally. That's what's up for me. You know? I like that. I guess like bands I've been in, biggest problem is always having to try and make things more complex, more technical, more. And it's like you know. Just have like three chords and have some fun. Well, yeah, the old saying, three chords and the truth, right? I think people overthink it. I think, and I think that's what you know, uh, tech heads and stuff do. They 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 get overly like you know, let's add three five more melody lines. Like if it works already, you know, ain't broken, don't fix it. When you listen to a lot of the best songs, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like I like I like Rush. I was just listening to a couple old Rush albums yesterday. And those guys are insane, man. You forget how good <laughs> yeah. they are. Especially this in their older, you know, stuff like I was listening to Hemispheres and I was listening to, uh, was it, uh, Something Kings. Uh, but, like, this was not, like, commercial stuff, their early stuff. <laughs> but it's very complex and very dynamic. You're just like, wow, I forgot how good these guys are as musicians. That's insane. But I'm not that guy. You know, like, I'm not <laughs> that guy. You have to know who you are and who you're not. Like, I wouldn't mind being that guy, but I'm not. I'm just not that good. Like growing up watching great actors, like, you know, I studied, you know, Mike Brando and watching James Dean and watching Monty Cliff, you know, the kings of the, the uh, you know, method acting. But even then, at a young age, I could appreciate what they were doing, but was also smart enough to go, I'm never going to be those dudes. Like, I'm not that charisma or that leading man good looks or whatever. Like James Dean, you can stop any place, pause anywhere and watching a movie and he still looks good. You know, like, you know, every third frame of me, I'm like, 
there's just something about that guy. Celluloid loves that guy, right? But I can appreciate their craft, and I can take that and assimilate it into my experiences and do my thing. But I'm never going to be them. And I think when people try to be somebody else, is when they, whether it be musically or as an actor or in any art, I think is when you fall into you know you fall in trouble because you can't be you can't be them. They're great at what they're doing. That's because they're that's who they're. Like Brando's always talking about making offbeat choices. Like Brando could do anything, man. He can like take the scene and spin it on his head, and it's still genius. But that's why he's Brando, right? He's right. Brando, man. You know, I'm not trying to be. That's just ridiculous. We never try to be Brando; it'd just be ridiculous, you know. But you're you're in an enviable position, though. So acting is one of those professions that does pay pretty well you know <laughs> i'm a radio guy so i can i can understand the the difference between okay what an actor makes and what a radio broadcaster makes i, I think i think there's a, a big assumption about what actors make and i think that there's like like the middle class and the rest of the country there you know it's the haves and the have-nots like you know i'm never i'm rarely the lead you know i'm, I'm a supporting actor and a lot of times the leads gobble up most of the budget and that and, mm. and so Really, I mean, I've, I, I'm not saying I haven't had some decent paydays. I have, but I'm not as much as you probably imagine. And really, that's why I've had to stay active as an actor and, and keep working and build a, a library, essentially, is, of, of work, is what I've done over the last 30-plus years. And it's and then you, if you're lucky enough to have, it really comes down to how big a film, right? If you're like in a big movie, like even a small role like Back to the Future, or like a movie like Sweet Home Alabama that play on TV all the time, those are the ones that I get the best residual income from and that's been the lifesaver and that's something that's that, that the new generation is really getting threatened by the the, the hulus and all and the amazons they want to get rid of the residuals because they don't yeah. they don't want to keep track of the, how many eyeballs and have to pay you and you know i feel bad if that if, if the union lets that happen because that really is the bread and the butter that keeps a, a middle class actor going do a lean you know if you've been in the business 30 years you're gonna have hot times you're gonna have lean times and those lean times that check that comes and helps you pay your bills that month, saves your ass in the mail, is what keeps you being able to do it. I think that this next generation, it's either feast or famine. Either you hit it big, or you gotta have a side. You're gonna have to have a side hustle while you're waiting to quote unquote hit it big. So I've been fortunate, man, that that uh, I've been able to stay busy enough, and I've been fortunate that there's been residual income to keep me you know, going through the lean years. But uh, yeah, no, it hasn't been probably nearly as much money as you, you would think. <laughs> Uh, for someone of my caliber. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it allows the, the time to kind of bring a lot of those creative forces forward. And we were talking to um, William Sadler. He's another one who plays guitar. I, like, I, did, a, I did a movie with Sadler. Uh, it was great working with Sadler. We had to share, we had to share, a, uh, it was a low budget feature. We had to share a uh, like two bedroom like cabin or something for like a week. <laughs> so got to get to know the guy, great guy and great career. Yeah, he, you know, he's, he's done some wonderful stuff. Yeah. But what I, was he saying? He plays Death in Bill and Ted, so you you know you assume all right. Is he just acting that he can play it, or can he actually play guitar? And he can actually play guitar. So we were having yeah, a good we talk music. We talk music, so I knew he could play. It's cool because when you're an actor, like it, it does allow you to kind of take a step back and go into the music and create. Like if you're musical, if you have talent and you enjoy playing or whatever, you can then fo focus your energy on that. So it's great that's to true. hear that you. I think, I think that most creatives are can do more than one thing. I think it's you know that some of them are like a singer slash painter or you know like if you're creative, you just need to be creative. The movie's called Deadly Crush. That's why I had to put the glasses on because I just ah. got a still from it that I liked, so I had it up on my my computer. 
Deadly Crush. And he plays the he plays the sheriff that's trying to keep this whole thing down that's uh, happening, and his ghost is coming back to life and revealing something he did. And, and he hires me, or he brings me out. Of, I have a, like a priest who's so bad he got kicked out of the priesthood that he brings back to do an exorcism. So, jeez. <laughs> so Deadly Crush. I think that came out in like. 2017, 2016, something like that. Wow. It was great to get to work with Sadler, man. It was really, really huh. awesome. So we're going to take a hard right turn real quick just because we have we have questions that we need answers to that every everybody that acts, directs, produces, that comes on the program, they just have to answer them. So, Joe, uh-huh. go ahead. Yeah, I guess we're just asking everybody this for fun because like, we are. Know, we, we, you know, we started this just as buddies who like movies. Yeah, <laughs> specifically like a lot of horror movies, and uh, the one that always comes into play is Silence of the Lambs, a horror movie, or is it more like a thriller, or is that the same thing? Well, I don't think a thriller and a horror film are quote unquote the same thing. I think they're definitely different. But to say, but I think it's accurate to say that is a thriller horror movie. Oh, uh, I don't see that you can say it's one or the other. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's like that. I think it's <laughs> Sorry, if you were looking for one or the other, I'm I'm, I'm probably gonna. I guess the question is, is it a horror movie or not? Like, is Silence of the Lands... Yeah, it's a, a horror movie, yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a very commercial, very high budget <laughs> uh, horror movie, yeah. Demi, right? John the Demi made it, right? Yes. So, I got just... Uh, uh, I was at a awards party thing for the Emmys once. You know, I had a PR person got me in there, whatever. And I'm just ha- I just started talking to this dude... And I'm just having this really cool conversation with this dude, and about you know 30 minutes in, I realized it's Jonathan Demi. Oh man! <laughs> I was like, I was like, damn, this dude's so talented, but now he's he's such a like cool dude. I was like, I would really want to work for this dude, and it never happened. But I would have. Re- he just you could, could just tell he would create a safe environment for an actor to thrive. And and some people understand that, some people don't. What the the you know, creating an environment for an actor to feel safe is the smartest thing you can do. Some people do it, some people don't. But you can just tell, like, he was he was a kind man and would give you every opportunity to succeed. That's how you felt. And you, you wouldn't want to let him down. I was just like, man, I hope I get to work. Not just because he was, you know, things I've seen, and, but just because I could tell he'd be a great guy to work for. So, <laughs> never happened. Wish it had. Fun fact about Jonathan Demi, I just was at, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the first time. He's the one who cut together the like big montage video of live performances that happened at the Rock Hall. So he was, uh, and it ended with this incredible Prince guitar solo who's on stage with like Tom Petty. and But it was just a, everything from the first induction ceremony to now, or till when he passed, that, was, uh, that film was put together by Jonathan Demi. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. I like him even more now. So, uh, firstly, what is your favorite horror film? And then before you answer, second, what is the what is the your favorite horror film that you've acted in? <laughs> My horror film is is you know is uh, not uh, insightful in that it's you know it's The Exorcist, man, because it's nothing scared me more than that movie. I saw that movie in a movie theater when I was 10, because there was this little movie theater in my neighborhood that would let kids into R-rated movies. Oh, and man. Nothing scared the crap out of me more than that movie, and uh, just kind of ironically or whatever. So uh, Eileen Dietz, you know, who played a lot of the, did a lot of the stuff that uh, in the movie that the girl couldn't do, right, because she was right. underage. 
um, is is the person who got me with my manager, Chris Rowe Management, who I started out with him just doing conventions. He's a really big convention manager. Now he's become a very big uh, acting manager as well. But um, it's so I have an actual exorcist connection. And um, she's she's actually helped a lot of people uh, come work with Chris. But uh, apparently, they're, you know, I've seen they're not like people get they don't thank her, you know, like I, every time I do a show, like I know who I, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be there. Right. So, but I guess the first time, the uh, first show, there was this woman who had you know, these cards, these cartoons for the cards. And the one was a, a, the, the, the exorcist where she throws up, which was actually a scene Eileen did. And I, I it was, it said get well soon on it. But so I just, I, I thanked her in the card and she still tells the story. Like that's the nicest thing anybody ever did for her who got her who she helped get in the show, you know? So, so wow. yeah, I have a, I have a, I have an exorcist connection there. Man. It's not, six degrees of Courtney Gaines. You can do this all day long. <laughs> <laughs> and another one, Ellen Burstyn in yes. Queen Bees. Boom. That's true. I have two now. Boom. I have two. I forgot about that. It all comes back to Courtney Gaines. That's right. We can play six degrees, man. <laughs> and then, this long, that's what happens. <laughs> and favorite horror movie that you've acted in. Ugh. And you don't have to worry about any horror fans' feelings. This is you. This is all oh, no, you. I wouldn't. I, it ain't even about them, right? <laughs> so I don't know yet. I want to see this movie, Bleeding Dark, that I was telling you because that yeah. may be it. And the reason I say that, so so these guys had approached uh, my manager because he has a killer horror arouser, and he was they were looking at a few people, and when he described how emotionally difficult the thing was, the character, you know, is su- you know, suicidal at this point, depression fighting with his kid, all this stuff. He said, uh, the guy you want is Courtney Gaines. He said, he's the only guy I know who can do what you're asking, you know? And uh, that's, you know, that is, as an actor, where I hang my hat is what separates the men from the boys is I can go places other people can't. Yeah. Or won't. It's one of the two. They either can't or they're not willing. You know, I will go to where the role requires, and this role required, you know, some heavy-duty emotional stuff. Breakdowns, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so... I, ha- I have to say I want to wait to see that movie because I think it may be the best performance I've done in a horror movie as far as from an acting point of view of chops. So okay, uh, I have to leave it hanging there, man. Sorry. <laughs> the trailer's out now. It's called The Bleeding Dark, and I describe it as a drama horror movie. So it's like, you know, you're asking, what is it? And the reason I say that is because everything my character does in the movie is just a drama. I don't, I don't have any stuff that's horror all the horror stuff happens with my kid and our and my wife his mother who passed away that's where it all goes wanky and and very 80s kills you know yeah Um, so i'm very interested in seeing how this comes together because usually horror films don't go that deep you know they're usually teenage and stick them in a cabin and bad things happen you know nothing wrong with that but i'm saying generally speaking they don't get deep 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 um this movie is a this movie is a drama everything i did was just a drama so it will be interesting to see if if the fans will want to go on that ride because I, what i learned from doing you know, all these years of conventions now and that's been good for me to learn lighten me up a bit is that horror fans see horror as funny and fun and titillating <laughs> Now, my manager is a huge horror fan, and I've gone to see movies with him. Remember, we went to see Hatchet, the premiere of Hatchet 2, and every time there's a kill, he laughed like a schoolgirl. So the only time I ever hear him laugh like that, he's over, you know, he doesn't come up. I was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what is that, you know? 
but that's because that's what horror does for, for certain people. Right. So I don't know if they're going to like, you know, horror, heavy duty, to, you know, drama movie is what people want. But right. I, you know, for me, it's an interesting experiment. And for me as an actor, it was a great challenge. So, uh, you know, that's, that's what an actor is looking for. Pretty cool. The way of talking about like a horror drama sounds really interesting. So I'm really curious. Cool. I'm going to keep my eye out for that. Uh, because you know a movie like Hatchet's one where it's like you do laugh at the kills, like it's kind of especially famous. Hatchet Two. Yeah. Hatchet Two, it's like all yeah. over the top. It's it's done in that tongue in cheek for the horror fans, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's it's a good time. So I'm looking. I'm definitely looking forward to to that, and I keep my eye out for it. And I was telling before, there's a movie called Await the Dawn that just came out on on Amazon Prime, and that's that's like walks that line too. It's a little drama. The actors, you know, Dee Wallace is in it, and, you know, she's such a fine actress, you know, she really goes after it in a very real way, you know, and um, so I don't know if maybe this horror drama thing is coming into the, the genre. I don't know. Before we have to wrap up, I just wanted to say the film Queen Bee out in theaters now. Courtney Gaines is in it alongside Ellen Burstyn, James Caan, and Margaret Jane Curtin and Christopher Lloyd, who's also in Back to the Future with. So again, see Queen Bee, oh, Queen Bees, I'm sorry, Queen no, Bees an with an S. Come on, Eddie. Oh, t- <laughs> too much time in Cleveland. Oh, absolutely. Wow. But uh, also, for horror purposes, everyone, we just have to say it, I want to thank Malachi himself for being on with us. <laughs> <laughs> How, how, but we kept the Malachi talk to a, to a lot less, I'm sure, right? You did. I'm pretty impressed. Nobody <laughs> asked me to scream out Outlander or anything. So I'm <laughs> hey, no, no. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Check we'll out Courtney Gaines. <laughs> check out Courtney Gaines' music, uh, solo stuff out now, and also the film Queen Bees, which is out in theaters now. This is episode 51 of the Red River Horror Podcast. I'm Eddie Cayazzo. And I'm Joseph Kresge. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Gordon Gaines. It was a really pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you guys. You take care. Okay, and that was our interview with Courtney Gaines. Pretty cool dude. I hope you enjoyed it. It really turned into a fun conversation. Definitely could have sat down and talked with that guy for hours just about music, life in general. Super, super awesome dude. We really appreciate him coming on. And, you know, next week is our one-year anniversary i guess or would that be the one following oh whatever this has been episode number 51 of the red river horror podcast don't forget to find us on twitter at red river horror you can always email us suggestions comments to red river horror at gmail.com you can find me at red river joe on the twitter and remember to keep traveling those channels of fear <laughs>